Hello and welcome to the Erwin Mitchell podcast, here to keep you up to date with the legal and financial news that matters to you. My name is Jo Mosley and this week I'm delighted to be joined by panellists Jenny Arrowsmith, a partner here at Erwin Mitchell, Dr Rebecca Lewis, GP and menopause expert, and Jill Kay, a HR manager at ASD Lighting in Rotherham. Welcome everyone, we're delighted that you could join us today. Hi Jo, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Lovely to be here. We're delighted to have you. In our latest menopause report, we worked with YouGov and Women's Wellbeing App Balance to survey over 1,000 HR professionals. The results revealed the worrying lack of action amongst workplaces when it comes to the menopause. Almost 75% of UK businesses didn't have a menopause policy in place. And with only one in five organisations considering menopausal symptoms in performance reviews, it's clear that awareness around the impacts of the menopause is low. A survey undertaken by Newson Health Research and Education of 3,800 UK women found that 99% of those stated that menopause had a negative impact on their career, with 59% taking time off as a result of this and 18% having more than eight weeks off, which is a huge amount of time. However, businesses don't always understand the extent to which menopause symptoms can impact a woman's performance. During this podcast, and with the benefit of our panel members' insights, we're going to focus on the workplace and what can be done to support women to function well at work during their menopause. So let's get started. I'm going to start with you if I can, Jenny. We know that 50% of the employers we surveyed said that they think their staff are confident talking about the menopause. But figures from consumers say that only 29% of women currently feel confident doing so. Why do you think there's such a disconnect? I think it comes well. It, I can only speculate into why employers feel that their staff are confident talking about the menopause, and I, I, I call to question whether actually the conversations are happening because statistics would suggest that it's not happening enough. What we're hearing is that it is still a very taboo or sensitive topic that isn't discussed as freely in the workplace, and I think I think Jill and um, Rebecca will echo that and share share their own reasons why. I mean, it is a sensitive topic. It's a very personal topic. So a woman in saying um, how she's feeling and describing her symptoms, it's, it's, it, they, they need to have the confidence of what will be done with that information. So they ne- need to know that they're not going to be judged. They're not going to be um, stigmatised as a result of it or, or in any way undervalued. And unless their employers are putting out information which demonstrates that they're committed and understanding the issues and committed to doing something about it, then they're not going to have that confidence in coming forward. And that probably is why, you know, that there is much lower percentage of women actually say that they don't feel confident because going back to what you've just been saying, Joe, our our initial research suggests that employers aren't really doing enough to get that message across. And there's there's a number of surveys that we've seen where women are actually saying that, you know, when they do submit a sick note, and Rebecca may be able to add to this when she jumps on, but when they submit a medical certificate, menopause isn't stated as the reason for their absence it will be something else and that might well be due to embarrassment as well and also fear of perhaps an unsupportive boss which we'll come on to in terms of what businesses can be doing some really easy steps to try and overcome that I think the other thing is a lack of education and and here I'm not talking about businesses either and per se lack of education to women generally you know if you if you having symptoms and don't understand why that's happening you're not necessarily going to start talking about the menopause in the workplace you've got to make that connect yourself so a huge part of this is empowering women to understand what is happening to themselves so they can go and get the right help from their GP 
as well as then have really good conversations at work to explain what's happening and what support they they think they will need so that they're not hindered in any way. Thank you. I saw Rebecca nodding um, quite a lot through that. Do you have any sort of comments, um, Rebecca, about the sick note point? Yes. I mean, well, I agree with everything Jenny has said, actually, that we might like to think it's not a taboo and stigma, but unfortunately it is still. There's a lot of work been going on in the last few years to change that and change is happening, thank goodness. But we've still got a lot of work to do there about the stigma of menopause and the understanding of what's of what is going on. And that's actually exemplified by sick notes. We know that um, in a recent survey we did that 59% had taken time off work. Well, that's a huge economic impact upon the individual and the business. Yet this wouldn't come, wouldn't necessarily be detected by HR, for example, because the sick notes issued, the vast, vast majority would document anxiety or work-related stress or low mood, when in fact it was it was menopause. But only 5% of um, sick notes actually stated menopause as the cause of sickness absence. So you can see that um, it just falls under the radar the whole time um, in the medical community, in the work community, and, and, and in the, you know, women, women in general don't understand what's happening to their bodies. And it can be very frightening if they have very severe symptoms. Um, which, which sadly get misdiagnosed um, as other other illnesses, and they um, women do not get the correct treatment uh, for their menopausal symptoms. Becca, is that because a lot of GPs don't have a great deal of expertise in this area? I think it's not just GPs. I think it's society in general, really. Um, we we certainly weren't taught much about the menopause at medical school, and there's been. A lot of controversy by recent, well, in the last 20 years about menopause and HRT due to one particular study which was inaccurately reported and, um, you know, gave the impression that HRT was potentially had some danger and risks attached to it. We now know that actually that's 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 very untrue and how safe HRT is, but the stigma has 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 stuck. And unfortunately, there isn't proper education for doctors, uh, be they GPs or in secondary care specialists, because it's not just GPs that see menopausal women. Of course, it's all the specialists as well that uh, women, women get referred to for their menopausal symptoms. They're just not picked up. So yes, we're campaigning. We've, we've provided um, an education course for healthcare professionals you know, to try and help this um, and try and uh, increase understanding about how varied and wide symptoms can be from the menopause. There are a myriad of symptoms um, and many people just simply think it's hot flushes and night sweats and perhaps a bit of sleep disturbance when it is far, far much, much, much more than that. So there's a lot of work to do in that area. But I think it's a general society problem, really, of, of not understanding what the menopause and the impact it can have on the individuals. It's interesting that you mentioned that survey. I, my mum had a horrendous mm. menopause and I remember she'd been yeah. on HRT for yeah. 10 years when that report came out yes. and she came off it overnight yes. Yes. she's now she's now 75 and she still has flushes this is it yeah um, it's, and it's been terrible for years it's terrible women's health have has actually been put back by that that study which was called the WHI study and uh it, it came out to the media when it was really uh, not not properly analysed um, and uh, stated that it, uh, HRT may increase the risk of breast cancer, which of course scared everyone. 
and everyone came off um, HRT just like your mum. And of course, the types of HRT we use now are very different. We use the gold standard regulated body identical HRT, and these have hormones which exactly mirror our own hormones and we haven't had a study so far to show that the progesterone component of that HRT in fact increases any risk of, of breast cancer to the individual above their background risk. So really the, the, the narrative really has to change and that message really is really important that that gets, gets out to, to society. That's great, thank you. Let's go back now to look at women in the workplace. Jenny, can I come to you again? We've, you've talked about um, some of the issues that women face in the workplace. How do we actually go about encouraging them to talk more about menopause? I, th- I think it was a Newsome Health Clinic survey that said 79% of women said that if they had more support at work, it would have helped them um, stay in work, stay engaged in work. And what that's saying to me is that women are welcoming of that support. So the kind of support I think is needed is steps to break down this taboo that we've just talked about and steps to help women and men be more educated so that they understand the relevance in the workplace so they understand this isn't just an issue a medical issue that women have to deal with but how it impacts on their work how it impacts on their well-being and why that is relevant in work I mean Rebecca's given one example in terms of sickness absence for example but we also know statistically women are more likely to leave roles have loss of confidence and not put themselves for promotion which obviously has you know potentially has an impact on gender pay gap and those sort of things so there's very much a business case um, for doing more so that's not really answering your question but in a roundabout way it, it, it leads to it because that means that employers need to be doing more proactively to break that taboo and to encourage women to come to them more openly so I think they can do that by um, lots of small, low cost steps, actually. Good examples are just putting communications out there to recognise that this is an issue. And a menopause policy is a really good starting point for that. It's a good commitment to show that you have some structures in which women who are being impacted can know how they can raise their concerns and 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 speak openly with their line managers of course if they speak to their line managers and the line managers have no idea about what they're talking about that's going to have adverse impact so education of line managers absolutely key and we're doing a lot of training on line managers for that very reason and there's some really good signposting so through those conversations obviously employers can look at the workplace steps that they can take to provide support but as rebecca said one key thing is women go and access medical treatment and speak with a GP. So encouraging women to do that by having um, good evidential-based signposting. There's loads of brilliant websites out there. Balance is another is another great example of a reference point that, that, that managers and employees can point them to. But overall, what we're trying to do is create a supportive and inclusive culture that just enables those more open conversations to take place. Because until, until that happens, it, it, we just stay in the same position. Thanks, Jenny. This is probably a good good opportunity now to introduce Jill. Now, Jill worked in retail management for many years, but she's now a HR manager. And I had the pleasure of talking to Jill um, a couple of days ago. And I know that, Jill, that you experienced some really debilitating symptoms about 12 years ago. I think you said you were about 40 at the time. Can you tell us a little bit about those symptoms and how they impacted on your work? Yeah, that's right. I started with bad headaches from like the age of 40, which put me in bed for days. And it took seeing a locum doctor to even recognise that I was suffering with menopausal migraine and not PMT, as was first suggested. 
and I didn't actually get a brain scan, an MRI for another eight years because I just imagined that something was really wrong with me and, I'd, you know, I was going to die. I hadn't even heard of menopause at this stage. Thanks, Jill. That must have been really frightening for you. Well, I think it really affected my whole life, really, and the way I work. Initially, it really caused absences and it had a really debilitating effect on the way that I work. You know, if I had like a heavy day at work as a retail manager, I was rewarded that evening by having to go to bed with a migraine in a dark room. And it's really affected the choices I've made about my work. You know, Jenny was just talking about promotions. It's really affected the choices that I've made in my career. I now have menopausal migraine about 10 days a month with a daily headache, but it is now managed with medication. Speak to your employer at the time about it. I know that you said that you had um, various jobs, didn't you, from the age of 40? I think you talked about having interim HR roles, um, which didn't last longer than 12 months. So I guess it was more difficult to have conversations with employers when you're a fairly transient member of staff. But I just wondered whether you've raised anything with them. And I know, obviously, you're settled in your new job, whether they're aware of what's going on with your health. Even as a HR manager, I was really uncomfortable sharing that I suffered with these migraines because I just thought that, you know, I wouldn't get jobs. They think it would affect my work and that I take time off work, which is which isn't actually the reality. Um, Sometimes, you know, with the pain medication I take, I can work through them. But I'm just glad that I now have a really supportive boss Um, and my colleagues have to be really supportive because. As you can imagine, I I really suffer with sensitivity to heat, to light, to temperature. Um, Me and my my colleague sits next to me. We were always attacking the aircon button. But it it must be a pain for her because I'm always wanting it really cold and she likes it like normal temperature. And I, I find it really difficult to cope with, you know, I want to be in an office on my own, which is not really conducive to working in a team, is it? No. And did you have any sort of the, what I'm going to call the more typical menopausal symptoms? Not really, no. I just had regular headaches. I had it the week before my period, the week of my period and the week after. And then I got a week off before it started all again. Um, It's only more recently that I've actually started with sort of feeling a heat. But mine is, is, is more really the sensitivity to heat and light. I mean, up to being 38, I was like a sort of a real party animal. And now you're lucky to get me out after six o'clock at night because going into a busy restaurant or a bar it's just really difficult and I've, I've recently developed tinnitus through the menopause I think and um, the medications that I take really affect my stomach um, which has given me IBS. Um, I'm now actually on Botox so I have 31 injections in my head every three months which I've just had two courses of but it's taken me 12 years to get put on that program because I had to set, I had to fail three types of medication before I could be put onto an injectable medication. So it's been a tough road. It sounds extremely tough. I think you also mentioned that you're on HRT as well. Is that correct? Yes, I used to wear an oestrogen patch from about 2012, um, which really reduces severity of my migraines. But when I hit 50, I couldn't have oestrogen only. And I was I was, was listening to Rebecca earlier when she was explaining about that. Um, so yes, I'm on HRT. And that's really just to reduce the severity of the migraines and combined with the Botox. It's really, really good because I can take my rescue medication in the morning now and I think at tea time, oh, did I have a migraine this morning? So it really, really is helping. But the only thing for me now is to really get older and grow out of them, which is not really something to look forward to. <laughs> no, I suppose not. It's uh, interesting, isn't it? Rebecca, 
you specialise in supporting women during this transition. Yeah. Now, mm. Jill has clearly had extremely severe migraines. Shocking. They sound, they sound terrible. Mm. Mm. Um, mm. She's clearly spent years trying to get the appropriate treatment. Mm. I didn't realise, I must say, that migraines were a typical symptom of the menopause. Are yeah. they? Very, very typical. Um, just as Jill has uh, so eloquently described the perimenopause is a time when the ovary starts to fail but it hasn't completely failed and this uh, when the ovary actually fails and stops working you stop having periods and that's called the menopause and that's the average age is 51 here in the UK but the perimenopause is when the ovary starts to just not function properly and not produce a regular, um, reliable amount of oestrogen. And that can precede your last period by 10 years. So women in their 40s will generally be either postmenopausal because they've had an early menopause or perimenopausal because they're coming up to their menopause, which typically is about 51. But we must remember that at least one in 100 women will be under the age of 40. So we see menopause in 20-year-olds and 30-year-olds. It affects all age groups. Now, what happens as the ovary is, is beginning to fail, the oestrogen levels decline, but they, they don't decline in a nice, smooth, predictable way. They fluctuate. They're up and down, up and down um, as the ovary tries to, tries to work but fails and, the, and they're up and down. And that is particularly bad at triggering migraines, this fluctuation in oestrogen levels. Um, so if someone has never suffered with migraines, it might be the first time they present in, in the perimenopause. Or if someone has had migraines but they've not been too bad and under control, they will get worse. Now, I was listening to Jill, but the main, the best treatment uh, really for, for this is HRT. But I say it's the right type of HRT and the right dose of HRT, because the dose of HRT will vary from individual to individual. It's not a one size fits all. So there may, most of my patients come in with migraines and we start um, Eastern replacement and they, they resolve, but not straight away. We have to go up on the dose and get the right dose for them so that they can actually live without migraines. And the vast majority that works very, very well. Um, and I would urge Jill to perhaps to go and see somebody to see if her dose is correct, um, because it can it, it really can help stop this fluctuation in estrogen levels and settle migraines. So, yes, in answer to your question, it is a really common symptom. Thank you. I'd like to explore a bit more about some of the symptoms of menopause, if I can, please. As mm. I think you said earlier, most people are aware of hot flushes, mm. um, but there are a huge number of other symptoms, too. And I wondered if you could perhaps explain what other symptoms women can have. And you've mm. already talked mm. about what caused them. I imagine it's the same thing, is it? The drop in oestrogen? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Correct. So failing oestrogen levels or fluctuating or low oestrogen levels affect the body all over. This is because every cell, almost every cell on the body has an oestrogen receptor um, because oestrogen is really key and underpins the function of all our organs. So in the brain, in the limbic system, mood, concentration, memory, fatigue, libido. Um, in the hypothalamus, that's to, that is our temperature control, our thermostat, if you like. So without oestrogen, we get incredibly hot sometimes or, and then paradoxically incredibly cold but it's this is the hot flushes and night sweats that women experience but it's also important to remember 20% of women will be menopausal and not have those cardinal symptoms of flushes and sweats which we all think is is, is menopause so 
you know that's important because a lot of people I see are having a lot of symptoms but they don't think it's menopause because they haven't had flushes or sweats. It affects muscle pains. Oestrogen is a natural anti-inflammatory and when we lose this vital hormone, joint pains and stiffness, ligament problems, uh, you know, tendons with shoulders, um, etc. are really common, um, a common symptom. Palpitations, again, it affects the heart. So that's really important. Insomnia, really common symptom for, for, for people. Often they can get off to sleep, um, but wake frequently through the night. That's, that's a common symptom of oestrogen deficiency bladder, vaginal problems, vaginal soreness, dryness, which may be mild in some people, but in others, it can be so painful that they, they are unable to sit down or wear jeans or you certainly have uh, intercourse. Um, so it really can affect the quality of life there. Bladder infections, unable to hold the urine properly um, due to weakness in the bladder muscles due to a lack of oestrogen. Nerve pains, so um, it affects nerve transmission. So tinnitus is very common for, for women or tingling in hands and feet uh, and numbness these sort of things which a lot of it's not in the books people don't really realize that because not enough research has been done on the menopause but these are really common symptoms we see day in and day out in our clinic here um, and they settle once the estrogen levels and testosterone levels as well actually are replaced back to the normal female range um you know it's it's restoring function it's much like a situation if someone came to me with low thyroid we would replace that hormone with thyroxin well the menopause can be thought of as a similar problem the ovary is fail, failing that organ is failing it's a natural normal phenomena but as it fails it will fail to produce these vital hormones for us women estrogen progesterone and testosterone and as a result of the no of none of these hormones in the bloodstream, it affects um, it affects all our all our systems, just as uh, as, as Jill has explained. Um, and the best treatment, of course, is replacing those hormones with HRT. That's the most effective and uh, you know best best treatment for for deficiency, replacing it with a hormone. Is that true of things like tinnitus as well? Because I'd always assumed that once you had tinnitus, you were, you had it for life. I ask from a purely personal point of view in that I developed tinnitus at around the age of 40. Until mm. I spoke with Jill a couple of days mm. ago, I'd never even considered that no. it might be linked to menopause. Yes, definitely. I mean, these symptoms we're talking about, palpitations, tinnitus, there are other causes of this as well. And so that's important to see a specialist and understand, you know, what uh, make a differential diagnosis. Migraines, there are other causes as well. But we also know that estrogen deficiency will affect nerve transmission. And, and we see a lot of tinnitus. It's one of our questions we ask women, uh, do they suffer with tinnitus as one of the symptoms? Um, so, yes, it's it can it can settle once the right dose of and type of oestrogen is given. That's really helpful, thank you. And I, I just want to move on briefly just to talk about why it takes several visits often for GP yeah. for, to a GP before women are properly diagnosed. I mean, we heard from mm. Jill, didn't we, that mm. um, it was an, an interim GP that picked up her symptoms that may be menopausal. Mm. I think you'd visited the, the doctor several times prior to that, hadn't you, Jill? Yeah, she's nodding. <laughs> yes, 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 that's right. It's, 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 it's a common scenario. I mean, I think the problem is GPs are under an enormous pressure and they have 10 minutes per patient, which is ridiculously short. 
And we've just explained there's a myriad of symptoms of the menopause and they will vary from individual to individual. Some women will have drenching night sweats every night. And and as I said, 20% will never have a a night sweat. So it's not a a universal collection of the same symptoms with every woman. So so it takes time to to understand that. And as I said, as there's so many symptoms and so little time to discuss, if the woman doesn't understand, doesn't even think this is related to their menopause, they may come in very, very worried about their palpitations, for example, and just not mention that their periods are getting irregular or other things that they think is, are inconsequential. So th- they are focused on one symptom rather than perhaps stepping back and looking at the person as a whole and seeing actually this this could be hormonal because it's affecting uh, the body in so many ways and causing multiple symptoms and there's been a change in periods they've become irregular and I think it's not just GPs you know it's it's women understanding and being empowered uh, about their symptoms because it's been such a taboo subject uh, women haven't been educated about this uh, from their families you, you know specialists uh, are not aware of, 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 um, of the menopause or how to treat it or what type of HRT to use it's very simple really but it's it has to be taught and it has to be um understood by by so many people but it's that is why it's difficult to get the diagnosis it like other things in medicine it's not a simple blood test that will prove or disprove it's a clinical diagnosis so it's listening to the story and understanding that these perhaps strange symptoms some will call like tinnitus um or or tingling in the fingers or um other other symptoms are actually could be caused due to their low estrogen uh, status from from the menopause and it's it's getting people to understand that like you've just perhaps starting to understand that tinnitus could perhaps be caused by low estrogen levels you know we don't we people don't under, don't know how it can affect uh, the individual really I suppose, as you say, you're only given 10 minutes with a GP and we're always told, aren't we, don't mm. present with a myriad of symptoms. That's right. One, Go in, talk one, about one thing one that you sorted. It, yeah. yeah, exactly, exactly. And that, I think that's part of it. But education is key. It's, it's really educating uh, the workplace, uh, uh, healthcare professionals and, and women and, and society, not just women, uh, you know, men who uh, will know a woman, um, maybe, uh, you know, at work, you know that everyone needs education absolutely we've talked a lot about hrt how long does it take to work on average and i appreciate that you've said that sometimes it's going to take more than uh, you may not get the right dose to start off with it's a process but on average how quickly can women expect to feel better well, as long as they're absorbing well through the skin, we always use uh, estrogen as a patch or gel because that's the, the best type of HRT, um, regulated body identical HRT. If it's, if it's, if it's uh, I should think in, in a few weeks, flushes and sweats will settle. They're quick to settle. But other things can take longer. Um, and it might be that some people don't absorb so well through the skin. So they therefore consequently will need a higher dose of estrogen. Um, and many women also need testosterone, which may not have been offered because the ovary produces three times the amount of testosterone as estrogen. It is a really important female hormone as well as a male hormone. We have exactly the same hormone as men, but at 10% of the dose, much lower levels. But we, we know that it's really important for libido, but we're also seeing how important it can be for 
uh, mood, concentration, memory and fatigue, um, that, that, that awful brain fog that doesn't lift perhaps for just estrogen replacement. Uh, testosterone, again, receptors for testosterone are all over the body. Um, and we're finding out more and more, we need more research on this of, of how important this hormone is. But the other thing to say about HRT is not only is it the best treatment for symptoms, it actually it reduces health risks because one of the problems with menopause is, is, is as a result of the low estrogen levels, our uh, risk goes up of heart disease and osteoporosis, dementia, type 2 diabetes. Um, a woman's risk of, of, of cardiovascular disease increases fivefold after the menopause um, due to the loss of the protective effect of estrogen. But the good news is that HRT, if given within 10 years of a woman's last period, will actually halve their risk of heart disease, will reduce their risk of osteoporosis, bearing in mind one in two women over the age of 50 will develop osteoporosis um, and how common hip fracture is in the elderly. Really important thing to start thinking now about prevention when a woman is in her 40s uh, to, to have a good, healthy, long, active life in her 80s. Um, it also reduces the risk of diabetes, a type, uh, type 2 diabetes, um, and cog cognition improves, and it, it reduces all-cause mortality. All causes of death are a little lower in women who take HRT than women who don't take HRT. So there are huge benefits for the woman in terms of their symptoms and quality of life, uh, the, how they are at work, helping them get promotion, helping them, you know, fulfil their potential, um, as well as future health um, health risks can be uh, reduced by by taking HRT. Thank you. I think it's probably a good opportunity now to go back to the workplace. So if I can come to you, Jenny, if I may, some of the things that businesses can do to support women during this, this period. We know from our survey that 72% of businesses that we surveyed said they didn't have a menopause policy. You've briefly mentioned putting in place a menopause policy as part of a, a, a programme of supporting women. How important is the policy itself? And where's a good place to start? So what a menopause policy will do, it won't be a standalone document because we all know that, you know, that that, that is meaningless, actually, and, and can do more harm than good if if behind it there isn't that commitment and, um, you know, efforts shown to reflect what that policy is saying that the business will do. The policy is important because it gives that structure and the commitment that you are doing what you will say you will do. So it provides clarity to line managers of what they should do when a, an employee approaches them. And it ensures that they can deal with those issues consistently and um, productively. It gives clarity to women on how they can raise those issues and a confidence that they can raise those issues and a framework in which they can do that. And a good policy will also set out a bit of um, background to, to what trying to achieve so obviously it won't have all of the depth of information we've just shared on this um this podcast now and i've learned a lot um and i thought i knew quite a lot <laughs> about menopause so thank you rebecca um, and jill's nodding as well but it'll have that summary to provide that context um but it can also provide some good signposting and that signposting might be to additional resources on the well-being site like i say it might be some good websites but it, it gives some good resources as well to 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 help women understand what they can be doing as well to self-manage so it is important, Jerry. It gives that um, commitment, and it, probably it sits with the suite of other wellbeing-related policies that an organisation will have. And we all know that a lot of employers are looking at this as a as a big issue because looking after 
well-being of staff is important to keep people engaged, keep people well, keep people productive in the workplace. Um, but we also know that those employers that are attracting staff and keeping staff are those that look after their staff and help them, you know, help bring out the best in them. So we, um, as we, we've obviously done the report based on the, the survey that we've conducted and we're so committed to the fact that the menopause is a good starting point. And obviously that's the first question that will be asked um, of employers as they realise why this is so important that they're talking about, that we've um, put together a menopause policy, which we are um, happy to share for free. All you need to do is download a copy of that report and at the back there is um, a space where you can do so. Um, and there is a menopause policy there. So it's a really good um, opportunity for you to have that resource for free, take it, shape it, use it. Um, we'd, we'd, we'd love to see you do that. So, um, and if you'd like a copy of the link of the report, that's not available on our website, but of course you can contact me on my email. I would be happy to get that to you. Brilliant, thank you. Well, I think I want to draw this to, the, to a close now. And I wondered if I could ask each of you if you could pick one thing you'd recommend that employers change or do to support menopausal women at work, what would it be? Can I ask you first, Jill? I think it was something I was reflecting on the other day in part of our conversation. I think it's raising awareness with managers. Our managers are very technical managers, not necessarily people focused about how they can support conversations and use their listening skills to demonstrate empathy and understanding so women can feel listened to and supported and valued. Um, we have a monthly wellbeing calendar. Um, so guess what's going on next month's wellbeing calendar with all the information and signposting because it's something that, like a hashtag I use for migraine. It's not just a headache. You know, it's not just a, I'm going to bed the afternoon because I've got a headache. Um, it is something that's really important and can have a really wide ranging effect on people. Yeah, that's a great one. Rebecca, what about you? Well, I would... Um say that uh, workplaces need to sort of empower all their staff, women and men, and provide accurate evidence-based information about how to manage the menopause. For example, by using the Balance app, they could download for free and actually find out what the accurate information is. And then it's up to the woman to decide how they might like to manage their menopause. Thank you. Before I move on and ask Jenny, I wondered whether this would be a good opportunity, actually, just to explain a little bit more about the Balance app for those women that are not aware of it and don't know where to find it. Yes, well, it's a free um, app. Um, it, the founder was Dr Louise Newson, and we've all worked to, to continue and will always be free for anyone who wants to use it. It provides evidence-based information about the menopause. It also has a symptom tracker. We said there's a myriad of symptoms. There's a symptom tracker that women can document their symptoms and their periods, how they may change with time. And it can download a health report uh, documenting their changing periods perhaps and how their symptoms have varied over the previous months. And they can take that to their healthcare professional because this can then really put the conversation, we were talking earlier how difficult it is to get the conversation going about hormones, but turning up to your GP surgery with a health report saying this this could be hormonal, all these changes, and look at all these symptoms I'm suffering and how it matches where my periods are changing. It gets the conversation immediately into hormone health rather than seeing individual specialists for the individual symptoms, for example, palpitations often to see a cardiologist, uh, urinary problems to a urologist, migraines to a neurologist, etc. Because then 
the, the underlying cause, i.e. oestrogen deficiency, just gets forgotten or not not thought about. So it's a really good way to start the conversation in a very positive way. There's also um, access to um, experts uh, with diet, um, nutrition, exercise, uh, dermatology experts, uh, and um, you know, and there's also a community for women to share their experiences confidentially, which they also find really supportive and um, empowering. And am I right in saying that if they Google Balance app, they'll come up with that? That'll be the first, I think, in the search. Yes, there's a there's a website as well um, that they can they can look at, and then the, yeah, Balance app um, from Google Play and uh, the App Store. Yeah, it's available there. That's great. Thank you. Well, Jenny, I'm going to give you the last word. What what changes would you recommend? Thanks, Joe. Building on what Joe was saying, training, I think, is absolutely essential. And it fits in nicely with what you've just been saying, Rebecca. I think managers probably worry about having these conversations because they don't know what to say. And I think I think part of the training is helping them understand they're not there to diagnose. They're not there to solve the problem. They're there to support. And a lot of this is about enabling women to go and get that support but but whilst they're getting that right treatment and we've heard how it can take some time to to get the right treatment so that the symptoms are alleviated and hopefully gone putting in place steps so there might be some adjustments that can be made giving access to the gp you know time off to go and attend the gp would be something jill's mentioned some other adjustments so thinking about those kind of things and all of that would be reflected as part of a menopause policy so it's the two together menopause policy team together with some good training which must be delivered both to men and women and not just seen as a woman's issue for training for women to attend this is for everybody thank you that's been a brilliant discussion i've learned loads myself as well thank you so much jill thank you rebecca and thank you jenny thank you, thank you. and that's it for today if you want to read more about what we've discussed head to our website www.erwinmitchell.com and follow the link to our report alternatively you can contact jenny for more information direct Thanks for listening to the Erwin Mitchell podcast. If you found it interesting, then join us for our next episode.